0: Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And we thank you because you brought us here this morning. Now, Lord, we only ask you that as we open the Bible and we study your word, that your word may come out alive and produce changes in our lives. Lord, I ask you that you may anoint my lips, that I be only your instrument. That nothing that I say here may maybe my own ideas, but may I speak on your behalf. May we be brought closer to Jesus, I ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a few, uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, we had a series here called The Shadow Empire. Uh, you probably remember that. And uh, our topic today is... I know whom I have believed. And I and I ask ourselves do we know whom we believe? Do we really know him? Now in that series in the Shadow Empire series we saw how Christianity moved from being, you know, a religion of the poor, of the outcasts, a religion of the downtrodden and became the official state religion. We saw how that happened. We saw how from their humble beginnings as Christ followers, followers of that carpenter of Nazareth. The church became a much favored group in the Roman Empire. We saw how suddenly the Prince of Peace became a god of war under the Roman Empire. And that was not good for Christianity at all. We saw that. So over the centuries, the intrusion of the state on church matters and vice versa, put the Christian faith in a difficult situation. The purity of the Christian faith was compromised. And you know the Christian faith is as simple as Romans 1.17 says, The just shall live by faith. Any other tool, any other instrument that would replace the faith in Jesus is not true religion. So then we came to the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. And then the reformers' original intention was really never to separate from the main church. That's why it was called the Reformation. They wanted to see changes. They wanted to see reform and the main church main church John Calvin Martin Luther all of the reformers uh, Philip Melanchton Zwingli John Knox they wanted to to make changes to see changes happening in the church but the separation eventually happened right and think with me the reformers eventually separated from the main church and They were brought up in this environment where salvation would only be guaranteed if you were in the main church. Now they are here believing that they are doing what is right, what the Lord has called them to do. And at some point they ask themselves, are we still God's covenant people? Are we still God's people in a covenant relationship with Him, even outside of the main church well it turns out that the reformers were on the right path but unfortunately a couple of centuries a few centuries have gone by after the reformation and people still ask the question today are we still are we still god's people in covenant relationship with him and some people ask that in regard to the Christian church and in regard to the Seventh-day Adventist church even in particular. You know, I, I spoke about media and games a while ago and I'm going to speak about something else. Sorry, maybe I'm not being, I'm being quite uh, blunt today, but I've got to say some things I have in my heart, right? Some things I believe the Lord has put in my heart. I don't spend much time watching YouTube videos, right? But I know YouTube exists. There are videos on YouTube. And on YouTube, you can find reason to question and doubt just anything. You can find videos on YouTube that will, will, will help you question some things that you should be questioning. But it will also make you question some things you should never question. And they are all out there. Today it's easy to to put a video on YouTube. It's easy to record. You can record with your phone. You can record with a simple web camera, and you put it on there, and people watch it. But please remember that there is a there is a source where you can really look at to find God's will for you. And it's right here. It's the Bible. I'm not preaching against any YouTube preacher. I'm not preaching against media, right? The church has uh, media programs that are a blessing, but remember that God's word is here for you, and everyone can have access to it, right? Even if you don't have a Bible, someone can give. We can give you a Bible here in this church, or you can buy one for just a few dollars and read it, study it, and you'll find God's word there. And people ask. Because of this this influx of information and of personal opinions. People are being flooded with personal opinions coming from every side. And then they ask themselves, are we still God's people? Are we still on the right track? And here is where the book of Esther can help us today. The book of Esther. And you may be thinking, what does the book of Esther has to do with this? What does the story of this young beautiful woman who won a kind of a beauty pageant and went on to become queen of Persia. What does that story have to do with me today in the 21st century uh, questioning whether or not I'm still God's people in covenant with him. You know there are certain books in the Bible like the, the two books of Chronicles like uh, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and like uh, uh, Zechariah. Those books were written after the people of Israel came back from Babylonian captivity. And those books were written for those who had returned from captivity. And those books were written to encourage them, and to reassure them that they were God's people. They were still God's people in covenant with Him, even after the captivity. Now the book of Esther was written not with that public in mind. But the book of Esther was written for those who remained there in Babylon. Or in Persia at that point. So that's why the book of Esther can relate to us today. Because we also look forward to a country that's not this one here. We also live in a time where we are surrounded by all sorts of worldly influences, and so that's why I'm saying that the book of Esther is very important to help you understand to help you assess whether or not you're on the right track. what was like uh, what it, what was it like to live in Persia well, life in Persia was somehow very different from today's society. Families and individuals were treated by by caste, is that how you say, right? By ranks, by castes. And it was a very hierarchical society. Women didn't have the same rights as men did. New mothers and pregnant women received a higher ration of food and grains than other women, which was good, was right and fair. However, if a pregnant wo- woman delivered a baby boy, Both the mother and the nurse would receive twice as much than a mother delivering a baby girl. They were warlike people, the Persians. They invested lots of money in in training their army. There was a lot of partying and feasting in the royal courts. The Persians did not worship the God of the Jews. They worshipped pagan deities. Actually... The book tells, the book of Esther begins with the description of a six month banquet, right? That was offered to the king's officials, to the commanders, to the governors. And that one banquet was followed by another one of seven days. So there was lots of partying there. Now, the banquet is actually a very important theme here in the book. There are ten banquets in the book of Esther. And the banquets mark. Very important occasions. Very important events in the story. As we're going to see two of them at least. In two of them. And the king there in Persia. He was an absolute ruler. He was an autocrat. He was worthy. And he was expecting praise and worship from from all his people. And there in Persia. That's where we find Esther and Mordecai. Well Esther was a young Jewish orphan. Right? She was orphan. She had been raised by her cousin. Mordecai. According to the Bible. Mordecai was also captive there in Persia. But he held an official position in the court. Because the Bible says that he circulated freely. Around there within the courts. Within the royal city and the palace. And so the king gives a banquet to his Officials and to his commander, commanders for six long months. Six months of banqueting. After that banquet is over, he had a, a vast empire. After that banquet is over, there is another one. He offers another one for seven days. And on the seventh day, the king was quite drunk. And he says to one of his officials, Go get Queen Vashti. That she may come because she was really beautiful. She may come with her crown on her head. And people may admire her beauty. While his servant goes there but comes with bad news. He says, you know king, I went there but she said she is not coming. And the king was furious, was infuriated with that. But she didn't come. So... She refuses to come. The king demotes the the thrones Vashti. And now sometime after that the king is depressed. And it's time to find another wife for him. So many young ladies are brought into the presence of the king. And the king for some reason he loves Esther more than any other. And so Esther is made queen. Queen of Persia. But notice one thing. Up to that point, Mordecai had told her not to reveal her true identity. Not to reveal that she was a Jew. And so she did. She never revealed that she was from from the people of Israel. And so she becomes the queen of Persia. She's made queen. But after that, Mordecai, whom I said used to walk within the royal palace and the courts, he heard that something was not right. Two of the king's servants were plotting against him. Plotting to take his life. So he runs and tells, and tells Esther about it. And Esther goes and tells the king that two of his uh, servants were plotting to kill him. And the king is infuriated. He's thankful to Esther. And he commands that those two men be killed. Well, that saves the king's life. And that was something so important that that event was recorded in a book of chronicles. Or like some say a book of memorable deeds. And it's recorded there that Mordecai had told Esther. And Esther in turn had told the king. And the king's life was spared. After that the king promotes a man. This tall man here in the blue. Whose name was Haman. Haman. He promotes Haman to be the second in command in the kingdom. And he fills Haman with all authority. And Haman is the second and he can, uh, whatever he says, people have to respect. And whenever he passes by you, you have to stand up and bow down and pay homage to him. Now, everybody does that except our good friend who? Mordecai. Mordecai. He's not going to do that. He's not going to worship any man. He worships only the true one, true God. So of course, Haman is not happy with that. So Haman comes to the king and says, You know king, there is a people here. That they don't really obey your orders, your laws. Now you told that everyone should bow down to me and pay homage as I pass. But there is a people that don't do that. So I think we need to get rid of these people. You should write a a law issue, a law that would uh, determine a date for them to be killed. And so the king is convinced. And the king writes a law. The king gives him his royal signet. And Haman himself prepares the law and writes the law and issues it with the king's signet. And now there is a date to specify. 11 months from when the, the decree was issued. 11 months after The people of Israel would be killed. The Jews would all be killed. And of course, that's bad news for the Jews. They're not happy with that. They're all distressed. And here is Mordecai. Mordecai uh, tears his robes and uh, puts sackcloth on him and ashes. And goes around the city, around Susa, the, the citadel. Crying out and saying uh, things and uh, distressed because there is a date for him and his people to be, to be killed. And he goes as far as the king's gate. And he's there and, and Esther hears about it. And Esther says, no, he can't be doing that he he needs to eat he needs to dress properly to represent our people and Esther sends some clothes for Mordecai Mordecai is not interested in that he has no I'm going to stay here tell her that she needs to do something about it tells her tell her that she needs to go to the king and talk the king out of it and so Esther finally decides to do that and she goes into the presence of the king now she actually Knew that she went, if she went into the presence of the king without being invited, anyone doing that should be killed, except if the king would raise his golden scepter, and then the person's life would be spared. And that's what happens. Well, the king was gracious toward Esther, and uh, so she wouldn't be killed, she wouldn't die because of that. Now, like I said in the beginning, there is a very important theme throughout the book, which is the banquets. So Esther goes into the presence of the king, and the king says, What do you need? What do you want? And she says, Well, I do have a request, but I'm going to prepare a banquet for you. So you come tonight, and I'll have a banquet prepared for you and for Haman. And the king said, Okay, that's great. So they go. There is a banquet. The food is served. Asher is there serving them. And Haman is all happy. Because he's the only one who had been invited to that banquet with the king. He's all feeling special. Now after after the banquet. Haman goes to his house. And people bow before him. Except who again? Mordecai. Mordecai. And Haman is not happy. He says, well, there's, there's no way with this Mordecai. We've got to really kill him. So he goes home. And his wife and his friends tell him, You know what? Build a gallows here. Or put, a, put on a stake. And, and tell someone to kill Mordecai. Because you're not going to be successful with him. And this is, this is what they tell him to do. And he does it. He finds it a good idea. And he says, yes, that's great. Let's put on a stake there and have him impaled. So here is a here is a counsel from from what we are studying here. Be aware of your friends, right? Be aware of what your friends tell you to do. Select your friends. It's not always a good thing just to go ahead and do what your friends are telling you. And sometimes even your spouse. Well, in that case, she was not a God-fearing wife, so that explains it. So, Haman liked the idea and it's exactly at this point that we come to the scripture text that was read here by Lloyd earlier today. There is a major reversal here in the story and I want you to follow with me. Open your Bibles to Esther chapter 6 verses 1 1 through to 14. Esther chapter 6. Let's read it together. Please follow with me. So here's what the Bible says, That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Remember the book of the Chronicles? Right? The book of memorable deeds? So someone was reading for the king. And it was found written in the book that Mordecai had told of Tanna and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. To suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So let me stop here. The night before they had the first banquet. Right? Haman, the king and Esther. And as Haman left the the banquet. Mordecai didn't bow down to him. He was infuriated. He gets home. His wife and friends say. Well you got to kill him. Uh, Put up a a gallows there so you can kill him. And okay. Now that night the king could not sleep for some reason. And so the Bible doesn't say exactly at what hour. But it could have been at 3 a.m., at 4 a.m., at 5 a.m. Someone comes in to read for the king. Right? To see if he can fall asleep. And then as they read that Mordecai had done something for the king. Had actually spared his life. He asks... What has been done of this Mordecai? And, and, and his servant said, Nothing. Nothing has been done. So it probably was already day, early morning. So Haman is just there to tell the king that he has a plan to kill Mordecai. And the king hears some noise and he asks, Who is there? And the servant says, It's Haman. Okay. So the king said, Verse 5 now. The king's servant said, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He's obviously talking about me. And Haman answered the king, Well, for the man whom the king delights to honor, Let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square, And proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, the king heard of that plan. He turns to Haman and says, That sounds like a plan. Verse 10, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate, leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman was not happy. He was so disappointed. But he had to do it. The king was was ordering that. So Haman, verse 11, took the robe and the horse Arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. He was furious. He was so ashamed. Of having, doing that, having done that. Now, verse 13. Now, when Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. His wise man and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, hmm, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Now, what what he didn't tell is that the night before, at the end of the banquet, Esther said, the king said, What do you have to ask? What's your request? And Esther said, May we have another banquet tomorrow. And tomorrow I'll reveal to the king what my request is. And the king said, Okay. So now the eunuchs come back and... And Haman is saying, come, come, it's time for the banquet. So Haman goes. And it was during the second banquet that Esther denounced Haman. That Esther told the king and revealed that Haman was the one who had actually talked the king into issuing a decree. They would kill her people. So it was a decree against Esther's people, it was a decree against Esther herself, and against Mordecai. The king just can't stand it. I can't believe Haman is plotting this. And he, went, he goes out. He goes out to his garden to get some fresh air and to think it through. That's just not possible. So anyway, the king comes back. And he orders that Haman be killed right in the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. It's just amazing. There is a major reversal here. And after this, the king promotes Mordecai to be the second in command in the kingdom. And he entrusts both Esther and Mordecai with full authority to issue an edict edict that would authorize the Jews to resist anyone attacking them 10 months after as had been determined. Now that's the story of Esther in the kingdom of Persia. That's a, an abridged version of it. I encourage you to read it through. You can read it through this afternoon when you get home. There are only 10 chapters. Actually 9 chapters. The 10th chapter is is very, very, very short. So read it through when you get home. But. Here is how this book can help us today in 21st society, 21st century society. Esther and Mordecai and the people who were there in Persia, they were clueless. They had no answers. They didn't know for sure whether or not they were still God's covenant people. They had not returned to Jerusalem. There is no living prophet mentioned in the story. Have you, have you noticed that? There is not a prophet in the citadel of Susa. There is not a prophet in the palace. There is no word coming from God through a prophet. The culture of that time is in direct conflict with God's principles. The laws of that country go against God's law. It was a pagan nation. Both Esther and Mordecai lived in a pagan country, immersed in a pagan culture. And they worked for a pagan king, and for a pagan court. I thank God for the book of Esther, because it's it's here in the Bible. It was preserved in the Bible as an inspired book. And it proves us today, that even in a culture that is steeped into paganism, even in a culture steeped into atheism. Even in the most pagan and atheist corner of the world. It is God who rules all things to the benefit of his people. That's what we see right here in the book of Esther. He's still ruling people. He's still ruling, ruling circumstances to the glory of his name. Now, let me tell you one thing that maybe you have noticed, maybe you have not. In the book of Esther, there is no spectacular, no miraculous manifestation. There is no opening of sea. There is no chariot of fire. There is no burning bush. There is no resurrection of the dead. There is no healing of any sickness. There is no wet fleece on dry land or wet uh, or dry fleece on white uh, on wet floor around it there is no bronze serpent there is no water gushing from the rock there is no walking over water there is no floating axe head there is no feeding of five thousand from two fish and five loaves of bread there is no blind person gaining vision there is no giant defeated with a pebble stone there is none of that There is not even the mention of the name of God in the book of Esther. If you haven't noticed that, I encourage you to to read it through this afternoon. God is not even mentioned in the book. But I thank God that He gave us the book of Esther. Because we see God working through what appears to be coincidence. But that we would rather call providence. Providence, Praise the Lord. And how do I know that? If God's name is not mentioned in Esther. How do I know? Because I have the rest of the Bible. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Verse 35, 34 and 35. Daniel chapter 4 verses 34 and 35. And here are the words. Not the words of Daniel. Here are the words of a pagan king. Another pagan king. And what a powerful testimony for the king of kings. Here is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised, and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Now, listen to this. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? So, even in the most dark and pagan corner of the world, Even in today's North American society, when you see laws being passed that seem to conflict, to have to be in conflict with God's law. Even in this place, even in today's situation and reality, God is the one who is doing according to His will in the army of heaven and also among the inhabitants of the earth. And I tell you one thing. This Nebuchadnezzar was inspired to say those things. Because no one can restrain God's hand or say to him, What have you done? So my friends, here we are in this secular society. And we ask ourselves, are we still God's people? Are we still God's people in covenant relationship with him? Is this still God's true church? I tell you one thing: Don't let anyone, anyone discourage you. Don't let anyone shake your shaking your faith in God. Don't let anyone, anyone, and I'm going to say something else here. Don't let anyone. I don't care how eloquent they may be. I don't care how many followers they have on YouTube or Facebook. I don't care how many videos they are able to put on, on a monthly basis. I don't care how many DVDs or books they've sold. Don't let anyone make you question whether or not this is God's church. Whether or not this is is God's people. Because you have been called to be a part, to take part in a divinely inspired prophetic movement. Even if, currently, there is no recognized living prophet. But this is still God's covenant people. And don't let anyone tell you that we need evil to be Christians. We need Jesus to be Christians. Yes, there is deception all around us. There is evil all around us. But I say this with all my heart. Spend time getting to know Jesus. Don't become a deception cataloger. Look at Jesus. Trust Him. Trusting that if you do really know Him, He will deliver you. He will, he will wake you up when deception comes your way. Fix your eyes upon Him. Be a close friend of His. He stands at the door knocking. You just have to open it and let him in. You see, I want to reinforce this. Because there are many, many religions out there that preach good manners. There are many religions out there that preach uh, that you must be polite, that you must do good deeds, that you must be a nice neighbor, that you must be good. There are many religions out there. Christianity is not the only religion preaching that. But religion will not save you. Christ is what brings life to our religion. Only Jesus can give life. And that's what makes our religion different. I want to read a a quote here. I'm almost finishing here. I want to read a quote from, from Ellen White in the book Desire of Ages, page 493. There are Christians who think and speak altogether too much about the power of Satan. They think of their adversary, they pray about him, they talk about him, and he looms up greater and greater in their imagination. Now, it is true that Satan is a powerful being. But thank God. We have a mighty Savior. Amen? Amen. A mighty Savior who cast out the evil one from heaven. Satan is pleased when we magnify his power. Why not talk of Jesus? Why not magnify his power and his love? You see friends, it may seem, it may look as if God is absent. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they are absent from the circles of power. It may seem as if God is absent from our cities. It may seem as if God is absent from everything around you. But we shouldn't need a law being passed by the government. A law that would favor Christians for us to think, Oh yes, God is still in control. Don't expect that. Don't count on that. If we we sit here waiting for the government to pass laws that will be more and more favorable to the Christian faith. And then we'll say, yes, God is in control. Don't expect that. God is in control, period. And it's not going to get any better. There is no reason to believe that... If God worked worked it out for Esther, for Mordecai, and for Jews right there in the corrupted and pagan Persian Empire. There is no reason to think that He will not work it out for you today. There is no reason to doubt or to question God's power. I know whom I have believed. Do you? I pray you do. Like Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I'd like to, to finish here. Before we sing the hymn. Inviting all of you here today. would like to renew your commitment with the Lord. You know, everything you do in life. And I'll repeat this. Do it because of Jesus. Everything you do. Do it because you love the Savior. If you have a message to give. Give it through the lenses of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite everyone here. Who would like to renew their commitment to the Lord. To please stand at this moment. And I'm going to pray for you. And if you think you've never really made a real commitment to the Lord, I also appeal to you now that you so make. That you make a commitment to him. The only one who can really save you. Don't expect anything from the government. We pray for our authorities and we respect them. But don't expect any blessing from a secular government. Don't expect anything from anyone except from Jesus. And if that's your prayer, I'm going to pray for you now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Because your word is clear. It shows us that through circumstances and things that may look like simple and common things of life. We can see your providence. Father, here is your people. Please help us, Lord, be grounded in your word. Please help us not be shifted and and blown away by every wind of doctrine. But may we we be grounded in your word. May we renew our commitment with Jesus. And, And these people have now stood up, Lord, because they want to renew their commitment with you. Some of them are making this commitment for the first time in their lives. And I ask, Lord, that you may bless them all. May we, Lord, continue to to walk with you. Whatever may come in the week ahead, may we face every single challenge with our hands in the hands of the Lord. That we may not waver, that we may not falter, but that we may end up the coming week with our commitment strong with you. Bless every family and person here today, and be with us for the remaining of this remainder of the Sabbath. I ask you in the precious name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.